0: Welcome to this week's message from the Pulpit of Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. You can find more about us by visiting gracewaydc.com or find Graceway DC on social media. Bad news sells, and there's no shortage of it in today's world. It seems that every day there's a new threat to weigh on our mind. So how should Christians respond? Our final sermon from Peter exhorts us not to fear, but rather to look eagerly for Christ's coming to labor, and to live for Him. Here's Pastor Brad Wells with a message called How to Keep It Together as the World Flies Apart.
1: Second Peter chapter 3 is where we're at, and hopefully this is going to be the conclusive sermon uh, for these first and second books of Peter. And Peter has really come out, and he's talked about how, A suffering precedes the glory that God wants to reveal. And he has used many different illustrations. One, uh, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he came and he suffered, uh, but then entered into his glory. And so we uh, should not be fearful of having to suffer and put up with some things uh, before God reveals his glory in us. Now, I would like to begin in chapter 3 and verse number 10. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 10, and it starts off, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Verse 12. Looking, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, We, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Verse 18, and let's read this together. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Father, we come before you and we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. We ask that we could understand it and gain the sense that we would be able to apply it directly and specifically to our lives. I pray that we could grow in grace. I pray that we could see society and these end times the way you want us to see them. So, Lord, illuminate our hearts with your word, and with your Holy Spirit. Speak to us, be with the many, many that are online and weren't able to be with us in person. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. You know, the, um, the hope of the church for thousands of years has been the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you must understand that there's two major comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're called the First Advent, and the second advent. Now, the first advent is really divided into two parts. Jesus Christ came, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. But the first 30 years, he was basically unknown and raised there in the carpenter's house and and really didn't do anything spectacular. And then his earthly ministry uh, started and uh, did amazing miracles, and all the people followed him. And of course, uh, he was crucified at the end of doing all these good. You can't do good and get away with it. And in, and then uh, was buried, and then the third day uh, rose again. Now that's the first coming. Now the second coming is is similar in that it's divided into two parts. The second uh, coming is starts off with what you, what is referred to as the rapture of the church, and that's where Jesus comes, but not all the way to the earth. It comes. Uh, with a shout and the voice of the archangel, and and catches away his bride. That is the church, the the spiritual analogy of the bride, and and uh, catches uh, the church away and transforms them and changes them into uh, all that God has created us to be, and then we come back following the Lord uh, on the on the white horse to set up His kingdom, and that is. Uh, the, the major thing that you must understand. People get it confused all the time. I wrote this out, and maybe this will help us. Uh, if not, it'll be a little bit of fun. Uh, the first time Jesus came, he, he came and uh, was born in a manger. Uh, the second time, he comes in a, in a moment. That is the rapture. And, and the second advent, he comes in the great millennium. The first time he came, he was transported by a carpenter, Joseph. The second, in the rapture, in a cloud, transported in a cloud. And the third time, that second advent, in a celestial horse. The first advent, uh, Jesus was seen by the by the shepherds. Uh, in the rapture of the church, he'll be seen by the saints. But in the second advent, the day of the Lord, he will be seen by sinners. When Jesus Christ came the first time, he came as the Redeemer, in the rapture of the church, he comes not to redeem, but to consummate that redemption with the rapture, and then eventually to rule and to reign. The first advent, he was rejected, but when he comes again, he will be, both be expected and then eventually respected by all. The first advent, Jesus came as a lamb, but the second advent, he will come as the lion. When he came the first time he came to be smitten but when he comes again he will come again to smite and we must understand that there are differences and not get them all muddled and confused together now second peter chapter number 3 i want to title our message today how to keep it together as the world flies apart And if you are watching the news or keeping your finger on the political pulse at all, you know that chaos is is going on everywhere. And I mean, incredible chaos is just around the corner. Almost every day, uh, people are talking, um, the pundits and the talking heads are talking about world war, global famine, uh, thermonuclear weapons, germ warfare, biological attacks, and all kinds of things. I would suspect that most all of it is based on some element of truth and inflated with a little bit of the salesmanship to kind of pay the bills and keep the lights on. Um, But you know what? We're the ones that have to pay, and it's not so much with with money, but the fear in our hearts, and fear sells and is very, very contagious. So Peter actually uses this backdrop of great fear and the end of the world. It's, I believe what he is describing is some sort of cataclysmic thermonuclear explosion, but I don't think it's, you know, the United States or Russia or China or North Korea pushing that last button that blows everything up. I think this is God releasing Uh, All the inner turmoil and all the atoms and everything just sort of falls apart, flies apart in the greatest way. So with all that in mind, what are we supposed to do? As I said in the introduction, it's, it's not hunker in a bunker somewhere. It's not be overwhelmed with fear, but actually three very, very practical things. And I want you to see it in verse number 11. In verse number 11, it says, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. And in Greek, this word dissolved, much like English, means released, unloosed. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? In other words, Because we see that last day and end times approaching, what should we do? As men's hearts fail them for fear, what should my heart be doing? And that's what we're going to look at today. It was December 2nd in 1942 that the atomic age began. It was about 325 in the afternoon. It was a quiet afternoon in secrecy, On the squash court under the west stands of the old stag field at the University of Chicago, where some scientists together produced the first controlled chain reaction, started successfully nuclear fission. The first atomic bomb exploded at 5.20 a.m., July 16, 1945, in uh, New Mexico out in the middle of the desert, and this bomb was fastened to this great platform up in the air, and it was an enormous tower with great big 10-inch steel rails. The rails weighed 90 pounds every foot. And when the bomb went off, the tower and the bomb shot debris seven miles up in the air, that's 37,000 feet, and dug a hole 60 feet deep, It was that hole that was 60 feet deep was a mile wide, and three miles in every direction, the sand was superheated so that once it cooled, it turned to glass, as the unleashing of the atoms and what was already in there. The first bomb that was dropped was August 6th, 1945, 8:15 in the morning. That bomb That some of you might remember, 14 feet long, 5 feet wide, and it weighed less than 10,000 pounds. It was designed to be detonated at 1,800 feet. And when it went off there above the city of Hiroshima or Hiroshima, uh, it instantly killed 70,000 people. And that city of 350,000 people was devastated. Many died of radiation in the days to come, and almost every building in that city was leveled. I want to bring this to our attention to tell you about the incredible power that is in the atoms of almost everything. The first hydrogen bomb was detonated November 1st, 1952, on an island about a mile long, and the island itself virtually disappeared. And there was a hole in the ocean floor 175 feet deep. And that bomb is a small bomb compared to the bombs that we have now. But that bomb, that hydrogen bomb, had enough blasting power, firepower, more than all the bombs that were dropped in World War II. The neutron bomb, more good news here, Directs and controls the effect of radiation so it minimizes destructive damage on the environment and buildings that's nice um, and would allow enemy forces to to go in and obtain and occupy that area uh, in a in a sooner time without danger of radiation. There's also salted bombs that uh, once the uh, fission and fusion, and, and there's differences here, and I'm not a scientist. I'm not trying to be incredibly smart. I'm just trying to give uh, just a little bit of a background of of what we've seen, and we all know the power that our nations have. You can add radiation by adding heavy metals to the outside casing of these bombs, which increase the longevity of radiation and create massive amounts of of sickness in the area. I want us to look at 2 Peter 3, 7. Look at this. It says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, the word of God, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I do believe that somehow God has created everything and with all the neutrons and the protons and all of this, all of these elements that we've just learned about in the last hundred years or so, have all of this power and potential within them. Um, this word reserved uh, has the idea that the fire is within it. Uh, it comes from the word fever. Uh, the fire is reserved inside of it, and that subatomic energy that's only held together by the word of his power. I believe God is holding everything together. I believe God is keeping our hearts beating and our and our lungs uh, doing their job breathing in and out and our brain functioning. And even those in direct rebellion against God, God is actively keeping them going, and all of these systems that God has put together, and one day, according to 2 Peter chapter 3, God will say, enough is enough. I'd like to look back now to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. I'm sorry, verse number 3. It says, in the last days, I know this verse, that it, there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust—that That is, people that mock and don't believe, and what what is their walk like? It is just personal gain, gratification. And verse number four, what are they scoffing at? Saying, where is the promise of his coming? By the way, this promise has been a long time. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, that is, died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And it looks like God created the heaven and the earth and, and God just left and doesn't care and, and God doesn't care what we do and the scoffers will mock and they, and they have always mocked and they're saying, oh, where's this great promise? Denying yourself some pleasure, what, is the, what, what good will come of that? From the beginning, everything has continued. Look at verse number five. For this they are willingly ignorant of. Notice that this is an act of the will, that by the word of God, and that's key, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And it's referencing uh, one of the great rebellions there in Genesis chapter six, uh, just that preceded the flood. when, When The crown of creation, humanity, said, God, we won't walk your way. We'll go our own way. We'll do what we want to do. And God sent a flood. God unleashed a flood. And so the rainbow is a symbol that God won't destroy the world again with a flood. But look at the next verse, verse number six, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. That is, there is the the potential for destruction, but it has not been released. God is holding these things together. Listen, the, the greatest rebel, the most wicked individual, whoever they are, the very tongue that they use to blaspheme, the very body that they use to defile, the very mind that they use uh, to hold resentment against God, God is keeping all of this in store. He's keeping everything ordered and together. But there is a reservation for destruction. Verse number eight, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a 1,000 years as one day. And here God is saying, listen, humanity, the things that you look at and say, how can this be? These things have been going on forever. God's saying, it's just a second. It's just a minute. It's just a day. Much like a child. You remember when your parents said, I want you to sit still uh, for a minute, for a whole minute, and then I'll give you whatever it is, and um, some reward. And you thought it was forever. How many of you remember something like that? How long a minute was, and oh, it was just, but now, I mean, a day just slides right by, and here we are at church again on Sunday, and we're going to be right back here again. It's just going to be a minute, and we're back here again. That's what God is saying. Listen, a thousand years to me is nothing, God is saying. It's also a little bit of a scale into the prophetic calendar of the Lord. The next verse, verse number nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Remember the scoffers are saying, God isn't gonna do anything, because he's not gonna come through, as some men count slackness. But he's long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now notice it doesn't say that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to heaven, which God does want everyone to get to heaven. But that door to heaven is repentance. That door to heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wants everyone to repent of the wicked and the evil that they've done. And repentance doesn't mean just I'm sorry for it. Repentance means I'm sorry and I turn from it. And so today as your pastor, I've prayed. My wife, we've prayed. We've prayed for you individually by name and We are praying that each one of us will will think of something that we need to repent of and come closer to God because that's what God wants. God wants you closer to him. God wants you closer to him. And maybe today you feel so far from God. Maybe you feel like one of those scoffers and maybe you're thinking, where's the promise of his return? I mean, I've heard this since I was a kid. How many of you have heard about the second coming of Christ since you were a kid? Let me see your hand. Yeah, me too. I've heard it. But that scoffer, and and we all have a little scoffer in our minds somewhere. That scoffer, I've heard him say, I don't know. I don't know. But you have to actively say, no, I believe God. I believe the word. I believe he's coming, and he's not going to destroy with a flood like he did last time. It'll be fire. And that's what God has promised through 2nd Peter. And then we started there in verse number 10, giving there uh, the details of all of this. Notice in verse number 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. That sounds like an explosion, a great noise. And the elements, anybody know when the periodic table of elements was made? Anybody have that? 1834. Anybody know when the King James Version of the Bible was, was translated? 1611. 1834. Stick with the Bible. Let science and education catch up later, all right? And the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. That's a feverish heat. That's the, the heat, the, the fire is within, And the earth and its works and all that therein are shall be burned up. I believe this is the atomic structure and the substructure of the universe that's all in God's hand. Now, I believe that all of this is written and preserved for us all these thousands of years by Peter to give us an awe and a reverence and a fear of God, not an unhealthy fear that draws us away and makes us shun and cower, but a reverence and a fear that makes us worship and look at him with awe and helps us to deny the the sinful pleasures of the moment that we're all attracted to. Listen, everyone's attracted to the same things, but we must deny them and say, God is greater than this and I want to live for him and I believe this and so I repent of the wrong I've done and I embrace the path that God has laid out through the Lord Jesus Christ and through repentance. That word dissolved there in verse number 12, looking for and hastening to the coming day of the Lord wherein the heavens being on fire shall be what? Dissolved. Dissolved. That is the same word, the same Greek word that means unloose or untie. It, John the Baptist, when he was there baptizing out in the desert in the water, and Jesus comes and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And he says, I am not worthy to unloose uh, his shoe latchet in John 1 in verse number 27. You remember that phrase? That's that same word. And God will unloose the elements and the atomic substructure of the universe. It's also the same word that Jesus used when Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth, and and Lazarus came forth, but he was bound head and foot with grave clothes, and he told his disciples to what? Loose him as he came out of the grave with those grave clothes. Loose him and let him go. Colossians 1 and verse number 17, jot that down in your notes. Colossians 1:17, speaking of Jesus Christ, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. As I was doing some research today, and I remember from chemistry class, and they they made some, some bold statements in the studies I was doing that the main thing that makes up our universe. Is space the main thing that makes up anything like this wood pulpit this board right here or the plastic chair that you're sitting on or this floor the original floor from 1860 (laughs) the main thing is actually space and they talk about the the laws of attraction that keeps all the neutrons and the protons and the electrons uh, together and pulls it together in steel and and all the different elements but we don't really understand it. We name it, we say, there it is, but I don't know. You say, well, what is it? I think it's right here. Where'd that verse go? Colossians 1 and verse 17. There it is, Colossians 1, 17. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ is holding everything together. I think that our Messiah is the glue of the galaxies. That's what I believe. I believe he's holding it all together. And one day, the fervent heat will be released, and um, it will be an instant release and a loosening and dissolving all that we know into its various subatomic components. But that's not the main the main message. That's just the backdrop. That's the structure. That's the part that nobody really notices. That's the backdrop. All this end times. And maybe all these end times are coming to the forefront of your mind. And here's what Peter's saying. It shouldn't. As you see the end coming, don't get wrapped up with fear. And don't start uh, doing erratic, crazy things. This is what you should do. Now, look at verse number 12. Elbow your neighbor and say, this is the main message here. Don't miss this. This is the main message here. Don't miss this. Verse number 12. And it says, 2 Peter 3, 12, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent hate. What should we have? What, what should, what's the practical element? looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. The first thing, and I want you to write this down, what should we be doing? We should be looking for his coming. Our mind should be filled with, is Jesus coming today? Do you know your citizenship is in heaven? Your citizenship is in heaven. We are not citizens of earth trying to get to heaven. We are citizens of heaven being active ambassadors here in our community. And notice very closely there that we are to have holy conversation and godliness. A holy conversation and godliness. God wants us to be doing what's right. Back up to verse number 11. What are we supposed to be doing here? Verse number 11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Holy conversation is conduct. That is what you're doing. And godliness, that's your character, who you are. So let me ask you real quick, how's your conduct? And how's your character? Are you looking for and longing for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Luke chapter 21 and verse number 28, the Bible says, and when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. That is, the more uh, darkness and bad things that happen, the more the pundits start uh, talking about all these global calamities, the more you should be looking up to heaven and desiring, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. When things get bad here on earth, that's when Jesus is going to come and your heart should be lifted up. But notice the second thing found right there in verse number 12, looking for and then it says and hastening unto. Hastening unto. What does that mean? That means to hurry. Now, all the dads here in this room know exactly what that word means. That's um you you you, you were um using some form of it as you were trying to get to church today and you're like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna walk out to the car come on kids come on let's go let's go let's go and somebody said uh, one very intelligent lady said <clears throat> to her husband one day honey if we are in such a hurry I'll tell you what you can get the kids ready and I'll go sit in the car and honk the horn, okay? <laughs> but I'll tell you what. Listen, there is there is an element of hurrying. This is a strange thing. Now, sometimes we think of the coming of the day of the Lord as some calendar that's, that's, that's charted and written down and it's concrete somewhere. But it says, looking for the, the day of the Lord and hastening unto. That is, we should, we can do something to hurry or hasten the day of the Lord. So look unto his coming. The second point here, labor or hasten his coming. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about there's some things that you can do that you can partner with God about that will hurry along the second coming of the Lord. And I, I believe that we need to be hurrying along here. <laughs> you know what the first thing you need to do? You need to be interceding, that is praying. We need to be actively praying for the coming of the Lord. We need to be praying for uh, the people in Congress, the people in government. We need to be actively praying for our nation. You need to be praying for uh, your immediate family and the, the distant family. You need to be praying. Psalms 122 and verse number six says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. (laughs) You know that Jerusalem is not known for being super peaceful? (laughs) But pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We know that when the king comes, there, it will be peace because he is uh, the prince of peace. The Lord Jesus Christ is the prince of peace. And the Bible says, they shall prosper that love thee. Speaking of Jerusalem. Listen, we need to be actively praying for these things. The last prayer in the the Bible, Revelation 22 and verse number 20, even so come, Lord Jesus. We need to be, you and I need to be looking for his coming and actively praying for his coming. And somehow, and I don't fully understand it, when I pray for his coming and I pray for other people, that hastens the return of the Lord. Not just prayer but evangelism. You know, the Bible talks about a certain number of people that will be saved. In Romans chapter 11 and verse number 25, let's bring that up. It's, here it is. It says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits. It says, I don't want you to be proud. And oftentimes, ignorance and arrogance walk together. You find somebody that's arrogant, they just don't know what they're doing. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. That is, God has called a timeout on the the nation of Israel. Why? Until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. What is that? That is, God was working with Israel. Israel rejected the king, the prince, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God turned to the Gentiles. I believe that happened with the stoning of the first deacon, Stephen. He went out there and preached that glorious message. The people rejected it, gnashed on him with their teeth, and filled with such anger and stoned him to death. He was the first martyr, and God turned towards the Gentiles. And then we have this great, these centuries of incredible evangelism as the gospel is spread throughout the whole world. And listen, we are in the, the sunset years, I believe, of this fullness of the Gentiles. And there will be some point, some point, of course, nobody knows, but some point at which the last person to be saved will return from their sin and trust Christ. And it might be your mom, it might be your dad, it might be your coworker, it might be your friend, it might be some person wherever. And they turn to Christ and they're the last one in. And the picture is, is that of the flood. It's the last one in the ark. I don't know who was the last one, but the last one in. And then God shut the door. And God's gonna shut the door. And the flood will come. But it won't be a flood of water, it'll be a flood of fire and all the different elements that will come in. That's the the book of Revelation with the trumpets and the seals and the and the vials or the bowls and all these crazy things that you've heard about. How does all this happen? Well, listen, this is all stored up and treasured up. And sometimes we get angry. Why doesn't God do something for these for these people? victims and why doesn't god judge these these horrific people listen no one is getting away with anything god is a righteous judge and he's keeping good records and we need to be looking for his coming and we need to be laboring for his coming interceding and and giving out the gospel i want to thank everyone here today for your prayer time i don't know how much you prayed this week but i want to say thank you for praying I want to say thank you for giving out tracks, and uh, I don't know how, how you did it this week. I've been carrying around these little kind of business card tracks, and I keep them in my back pocket right there behind my wallet. I try to keep them nice and and uh, pass them out to people. I'll tell you what, I didn't get any positive responses from my tracks this week, but I gave them out. And maybe God's going to do something. I want to say thank you for every time you did it, every single time, every smile you gave to somebody. I was walking through uh, some of the halls there of Congress this week and over on the Senate side, and I was talking to different people. Uh, Tuesday was an amazing day. I got to talk to all sorts of different people, and people were very, very open. Uh, it was sort of a, a divine appointment. It was a divine appointment um, Corey Booker was taking a selfie with everybody and he had this big crowd of all these people they were loving him and and uh, he went to get in his uh into the 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 little trolley car and he jumped in and and the door wouldn't close and I was just sort of standing there and I was laughing because the door kept trying to close and and we were laughing together and he just goes would you try to close that door and I came over and I tried to close the door and it was hard and I he said, push harder. And I pushed a little harder and, and the door closed and then nothing happened. Everything just sat there. And I was like, oh man. <laughs> and and we had this great little interaction and Lord willing, I'm gonna be able to follow up on that this week. Did I give the, I didn't give the gospel, but I created a little connection. Well, I didn't, I, the Lord did. And then there were several others that that day You know what? Somebody called me this week and said, man, I need some help. I need some help. Would you be able to help me? And I've been able to have uh, two conversations with him, and man, it's going really well. You live for God. You labor for him. You say, what do I do with the end times? What should I do? Number one, look for, long for the coming of the Lord. And number two, labor for his coming. Get to work doing something for the Lord. You don't know when the fullness of the Gentiles will come. But now I want you to look at verse number 14. I want to show you the third practical thing that you should be doing. Verse number 14 says, Therefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, okay, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless you need to be living for his coming. Not just looking, not just laboring, but you need to be living for his coming. That word diligent. I want to say, when Jesus Christ comes, I don't want him to find his tithe in my pocket. I don't want him to find beer in my fridge. I don't want him to find provocative pictures on my phone. When Jesus Christ comes, I don't want him to find drugs in my cabinet, sin in my heart, or bitterness in my mind. I want him to find me pure and clean. Now, the Bible is not saying, Peter is not saying, that you can be sinless here in verse number 14, but he is saying that you can be blameless. I wonder if the Lord came today, would you be blameless? I remember I was doing some street work once and a guy came up and he was smoking and he walked right up into my personal space too close and he took a a big puff on his cigarette and blew it in my face and I just, (laughs) thank you. And he said, will smoking send me to hell? And I said, no, but you'll smell like you've been there. (laughs) I heard one one person say, well, I don't think smoking um, would send me to hell. They were a Christian. They were were smoking. They said, I want to give it up. I I don't think smoking is going to send me to hell, but I don't want to be smoking and take a big drag, and the Lord comes, and I'm up in heaven, and now I have nowhere to exhale. And I'm like, (laughs) just a humorous thing, but you know what? I want to be found blameless. How's the Lord going to find you? And the Bible says that we are to be diligent. We need to be diligent. And it's going to take some work. It's going to take some character. It's going to take some structure to keep yourself clean. I mean, you think about just maintaining physical hygiene. You get all cleaned up and spiffed up and you're doing good in a couple hours. Man, you got to start all over again. The same thing is true spiritually in your heart. You confess and get right with God, and all of a sudden there's a slow creep of sin back in, and I want to be blameless. In 1 John 3, in verse number 3, the Bible speaks about the hope of salvation. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. That is, I'm right and I'm washed and I'm clean before God and I have hope that one day I will be with him in heaven and I will be perfect and clean. I have that hope. And so what do I do every day? I am diligent about purifying myself because otherwise, like they say, it's a slippery slope and it's easy, that letting junk into your life it's a, it's a downhill it's easy walking easy walking you don't even hardly have to take a step you'll just start sliding a little bit but every every desire you have to be pure and clean and right before god is work and effort i'm not talking about earning salvation all that was done in jesus christ but maintaining a pure life before him. Jesus told a story in Luke chapter 19 and verse number three about a king and some servants. And and he said, the king gave these talents and treasures to these various servants. And one he gave uh, 10 and one he gave five and and one he gave just one talent or pound of treasure. And you remember the story that essentially everyone doubled it. The first guy doubled from 10 to 20. The second guy doubled from five to 10. But that third guy, he was fearful. And he said, I I knew how serious and how austere you are. And so I hid my treasure in the earth. And here, Lord, here's my treasure. And the Lord wasn't happy at all. He was angry. He said, at least you should have given it to the, to the bank so he could earn interest. Well, you didn't even do that. You hid it in the earth. And what is that an illustration of? It's an illustration of us. And the, and the summary of the whole thing is found in verse number 13. And he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds. And he said, occupy till I come. God wants us to occupy. You know, last night prayer meeting, when we were done, we had a great time and we were driving down 8th Street, and I saw a building that I had prayed about and thought about, not really as a church building, but as sort of a, a Christian coffeehouse idea, some place where we could have a, 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 a setting where people could, could go, and, and there would be a holy community and atmosphere. But I never did it. It's too expensive, and it's a lot of work, and we've got all these other things going on. And I looked, and, and now it is everything opposite of Christianity. And the thought came to me, if we don't occupy till he comes, someone else is going to occupy. Nature hates a void in a vacuum. Something else is going to slide in. I didn't want to do that. That's so much work. But someone else will do it. You know, the same thing is true for this city, D.C., Honestly, there's a lot nicer places to live. Cheaper, the grass grows out there, <laughs> the sun shines out there. And you think, well, ah, why do I need to be in DC, the front lines of morality and fighting it out? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus said, Occupy till I come. We're talking about the bad news that comes across our social feeds and across our television screens every day. What am I supposed to do? Well, a lot of people, I think they love God. I think they love their nation. But it's so fearful and so overwhelming, they tremble and they draw back. And they're overwhelmed with fear. And Peter is saying, don't do that, don't do that. Occupy like the Lord said, occupy, look for his coming, labor for his coming, hasten his coming, and live for his coming. Invest.
0: Thank you for listening, and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells. Reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person, Sundays at 11, Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference.